All right, welcome to another edition of Advantage Connors. Here as your solo host today, Brett Connors, how you all doing out there? Jimmy's busy this week. Uh, I'm down in LA, so I'm gonna gonna be driving you solo here for a little while, but um, just wanted to check in. French Open week one, just a few days in. I'm working it for Tennis Channel here in LA. Uh, had some really good matches. Gail Monfils went five in a classic match the other night. Bummer, he had to pull out the next day. He, he left it all out there. Great showman. But everyone, everyone seems to be doing well. Joker and Carlos on the men's side and Savvy and, and Iga and, and Elena on the women's side are, are all kind of cruising. So we'll get more into that next week when Jimmy's back and kind of dive into what's been going on and, and uh, maybe preview the finals weekend a little bit. But wanted to take this opportunity to dive into the Advantage Connors archives. Some of our newer listeners out there don't know if you know, but Advantage Connors used to be, the show was on on another platform before we joined Cloud 10 and uh, iHeart Podcast, which is where we're at now. I, we used to do the podcast just on an app on my phone. It was called Anchor, and we just kind of started doing the show for fun. Right before an Australian Open, we did like a preview show and then COVID happened and we got locked down. So, you know, we were doing the show as a way to kind of stay in touch when we couldn't see each other and, and talk what was going on and kind of just have a little project to work on. So we have a lot of episodes that haven't aired on our new Cloud 10 platform. You know, a lot of them are just me and Jimmy talking current events. So those probably won't get put back out, but we like to re-release some of our episodes with guests. And that's what we're going to do today. We're talking with Mr. Darren Ravel. He's been on ESPN. You know him from the Action Network now. He talks tons of gambling on Twitter. He's won an Emmy. He's, you know, a sports business analyst. He's always talking, you know, the new angle and, and how it's affecting ratings or, or what's the sales or a new product coming online. And so we this interview is a couple years old. It's from 2021, I think the spring of 21. It was when the NFTs were kind of starting to pop off and go crazy, selling for ridiculous prices. And uh, when the memorabilia had gotten really big just because uh, everyone was locked down in COVID and everyone was still making money, didn't really have that many expenses because they weren't able to go out. So, you know, the memorabilia market and the NFT market and all these markets that had been kind of dormant and boring for a while, all of a sudden, you know, got new life. And so we thought he was a great person to bring on to talk about some of that stuff. Obviously, the markets have probably changed a lot since then with, uh, you know, the, the economy and, and crypto and, and everything kind of taking a downward turn recently. But nonetheless, it was a, a really good interview. And, and we talk a lot of stuff. We don't just talk, you know, that we talk East Coast sports and, and going back to some classic boxing and, and tennis stuff. And he brings some really great stories. So, um, yeah, just wanted to re-release this one. It's one of the last ones we have not released with a guest. So I hope everyone out there enjoys it. And uh, we will check back in with you next week with Jimmy. So uh, enjoy the French Open and uh, enjoy Darren Ravel. Talk to you soon. Peace. All right. Welcome to the show. Senior executive producer at the Action Network. He was a sports business reporter for ESPN for 12 years and CNBC for six years. Welcome, Darren Ravel. To advantage Connors. How are you, Darren? Hey guys, how are you? Great to be yeah, here. Yeah, it's a good day. It's a good day. So I, I I've got to just jump in right away. Tell tell me what you thought of the of uh, the last um uh you know, it was my favorite time of the year when March Madness hit. Tell me what you, you think of March Madness and the and the result. 
Well, I mean, I think anytime you can say sports is, you know, unpredictable, uh, it's like when you, when there was a guy, he didn't bet it last night, but there was a guy who for the final four, uh, bet $700,000 on Gonzaga as 14 point favorites over UCLA, uh, you know, because he thought $70,000 was easy money. Uh, and that guy, and that guy was sweating, you know, right. and that's, that's why we play these games. And anytime you're sure of it, I mean, just even last night from a betting perspective, people were jumping all over Gonzaga because they, I think they just wanted uh, an undefeated season to happen. It was very much like 2008 with the Patriots. Um, oh. I was actually, I was in the locker room in 2008 at that Super Bowl, And uh, the problem from a media perspective is you have to go down and talk to the players. So there was like five minutes to go and all of us had gone down and we are standing in the Patriots locker room and there is no sound anywhere. And we don't have, there's no TVs. We're in the bowels of the stadium. So we all assume the Patriots have completed a perfect season. And then we hear like a roar. And then all of a sudden, all of us are in the giants locker room. So, so people, you know, people want that, that perfection. I think the only time, by the way, where it was like that was probably the 86 world series with the Mets and the Red Sox, where everyone was in the Red Sox locker room for game six. And, and then someone comes running down saying, you know, ball went through Buckner's legs and they all go to the Mets locker room. But I I think people wanted Gonzaga. They wanted perfection. Um, And uh, Baylor was just unbelievable. Yeah, Baylor. Baylor was the uh, the underdog, correct? I mean, uh, uh, four or five points or so. It was. It, yeah, it was the first time they were an underdog in more than a year in any of their games. Obviously, they were a number one seed. Um, by the way, Scott Drew, uh, the coach of Baylor, uh, he was not strong in in basketball when he was in high school. He was actually uh, the number two singles player at Valparaiso High School, so he was a tennis player. Hey, how about that? There you go. <laughs> but uh, you know, Pro- probably, I, 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 probably, I, I, probably had some sort of Connor's racket going. <laughs> the old T two thousand. I hope that would be yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm an old, I'm an old Bruin, and uh, it, it broke my heart. You know, when, uh, when when they lost in the semis, there they had a hell of a run, and and uh, you know, for you know, from for me, I, I wish the Bruins would have gone on, but you know, it kind of. Uh, you know, Gonzaga beats them, you know, in an unbelievable game. And, and uh, you know, from my standpoint, you know, I was kind of rooting for Gonzaga, you, you know, because mm-hmm. they beat the Bruins and, and uh, uh, you know, then, then to go on and, and to have that perfect season, you're right. There's something about perfect that, uh, that, that kind of grabs onto you and says, you know, this, you know, just to say, you know, I mean, they're still talking about the Dolphins perfect season, yep. you know, yep. Back 19, in the 70s, 1972, right? and then you know it's amazing. You have the perfect season in 1972 with the Dolphins, and then you have the perfect season in 1976 at Indiana. There is something to closing in on perfection. And Jimmy, I think you could probably relate to this when you're going through a tournament and you're winning and you're not losing a set. And then you, when you get to the end, there's a little bit more pressure. That actually happened in 1976 in Indiana. Uh, for their last game against Michigan for the title in 76, they were down at the half by six points and they were in a tough position. So I, I think there's something about as you close in on perfection that the, the vice clamps in a little bit more. And uh, that was, I, I, I think, you know, with Gonzaga, even down 10, you know, I would have just love, I would have paper. 
view to, to see that locker room, man. You know? <laughs> Seems like it's difficult too, when you hit like one of those crazy, you know, buzzer beater shots, you know, it's such a high that you have that it's tough to come down and refocus for the next game. And there's a little bit. Yeah, and I also, I also think the weirdness of not having fans, um, yeah. Yeah. not having, you know, that, that's something, Jimmy, what would you have done on that day in nineteen ninety one against Crickstein if 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 you were in a blank stadium? You uh, take it easy now. <laughs> <laughs> but you were all on the crowd. The crowd got you. You know, like I, I the the biggest thing, and this is this is one of the factors in in gambling too. It's like, had who are the guys who don't need a crowd? And who are the guys who need it? Like, we've never had to ask yeah, this question in sports. Really good point. In 20th century sports. Like, who's going to be, the, especially for, like, now, obviously, last year, for me, it was baseball. It's like, who's the guy? Like, for me, we were talking about, like, Mike Trout versus Bryce Harper. To me, Mike Trout is very cerebral, loves the game, keeps inside himself. He's good. But, like, if you look at, like, Bryce Harper, like, no, he needs someone to pump mm-hmm. him up. He's, he's rely. He's a Vegas guy. He loved to pump people. You know, he loves to get that pump up. So this year, obviously from a fan standpoint, it's been different, but from an athlete standpoint, it's been interesting to see. And I, I, man, I, I just, it's so weird to see no crowds or or crowds of 5,000 people. Yeah. You you know, that, that electricity and that excitement and that, uh, that, uh, Sixth man, if you want to call him that, yep, you know, yeah, from, yeah. from the stands, <clears throat> is is something that you know athletes beg for. You know, really, you know, to to have you know, to show what they have and to have the crowd get behind them and, and to push them to that that next level. Uh, you know, to, to to help them come through and to and to be the champion. You're right, but 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 I also think that that champions figure it out and figure out a way to motivate themselves. And, yep, yep. and and to give them that that themselves that shot in the arm to to go over the top and <clears throat> excuse me and and to and to come out the winner. Uh, no crowd for me. I love the crowd. I love the the excitement even before the the match started. The you know the walking through the crowd to the court was was probably the most exciting walk I've ever had. Right, which but, is which is which is which is also the you know the worst part about giving up Forest Hills for. Flushing Meadows, right? I mean that. You yeah. Know, I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm 42 years old, and, uh, and, and I, I lived, uh, you know, on Long Island in Roslyn on Long Island. Didn't miss it. Ha- haven't missed a U.S. Open, but I, you know, I'm not a. What was Forest Hills last year? Was what 80 or 81? I can't even remember. But, no, for uh, last year at Forest Hills was 70, 77 was oh. the last year, and then seventy eight okay. they moved okay. to uh, to Flushing. Right, so I was born right. in seventy eight. Never, never had a chance. Now, now the walk, you know, obviously there's been a lot of things in sports. Like as kids of the eighties, you know, like we got to see things, we got to do things that today you never get to do with athletes. Like I still remember walkthroughs. There were still walkthroughs to the court. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't the same as my parents described, you know, like you could, you could reach out and touch, you know, and it, 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 with each decade, it got harder to do that. But that's, you know, I, I, part of the reason why I love being a sports reporter and had to be into sports is because of how close I was able to get in the eighties to athletes. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, going to a hotel <laughs> and, and, uh, asking for Tony Quinn, Tony Gwynn's autograph. And, and I, legitimately as an 11 year old kid had a 
15 minute conversation, sit down kid in the hotel lobby with Tony Gwynn. Wow. It's like, God, you know, I just, I just, I just wish that we, and I know it's totally different, but I just wish that athletes and kids were as close as athletes of kids of the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Were. Those days are over. Yeah. yeah I you, think, you, I think you, lot- you look at, yeah, Jimmy, you look at these sporting news magazines and you look at these old things and it's like tennis camp, 1975 or whatever. And it's like, Connors McEnroe is like $50 for the week. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, what we, we were killing it. <laughs> oh, uh, it, yeah, it it's amazing. The yeah, they, they, had, they had football camps and you're looking, you're like, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, $100 for the week, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It was, you know, was, uh, I, I, I love the, the up close. I mean, we go and practice it, uh, you know, when we first went to Flushing Meadows and it, even at, at the old uh, Forest Hills, and the people would just be right at the fence. I mean, we we go to you know to to cross sides, and you know we'd sit there and have a conversation with the fans. Which to me, I mean, they're you know they're paying their hard earned hard earned bucks to to come and watch us play. I mean, they they deserve to have that up up close and personal. I I think, but uh, that all changed in in tennis when uh, when they had the unfortunate incident with Monica Sellis. Oh God! And you know which uh, uh, which changed everything. Yeah. yeah. Then. Security started coming, and then a lot of other things happened since then. And, and uh, you, you get what you have today. But uh, the fans, you know, to 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 have been able to play in front of them, and I mean, talk talking about fans. You know, we got the Masters coming up. You know, well, even just before we go on to that, that <laughs> Brett's got to take control of this. <laughs> well, that overhead shot they used to shoot at the U.S. Open with you guys walking or whoever it was walking from the locker room to the court. Yeah had like a boxing feel to it, you know, like he's like Darren said, like you'd be able to almost reach out and, you know, probably not get a high five, but maybe touch the bag or, you know, reach out and touch your favorite player. Yeah. It, it like was, that. yeah, it was, it, it definitely was like a boxing. Yeah. Now they try to do it, but it's just, it's just not that, you know, it's, it's ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, you know, and, and it's okay, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm sitting all the way at the, you know, I, I see ants on the, <laughs> I know it's right. huge. a huge, huge stadium now. Yeah. So yeah. I, I see, I see your hat, Arnie. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Uh, one of, you know, luckily, uh, he's just one of those guys that I got to interview. And, um, I, I, I guess one of the coolest moments that I had in my reporting career is to have an Arnold Palmer with Arnold Palmer. It doesn't really get better than that. <laughs> That's so, pretty um, cool. he, uh, you know, he's just, he, he's, he was an incredible man and a uh, great ambassador of the game. Both him and Jack are just, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you've had your dealings with both of them and just, just quality, quality guys. Yeah, exactly. You know, you look, you look back at, uh, you know, in, in the past, and, and this is what I like about golf is the way they treat their past and, and they, they hold them uh, on such a pedestal. Uh, not you know Palmer and, and Nicholas and Gary Player and yeah. and uh, Byron Nelson and Sam Snead, and, Sam yep. Snead and you know the the way the way they treat them and 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 hold them in in such esteem you know, for what they've done you know for not only their time but what they've done for the game to where it is now uh, I I think golf does that uh, correct me if if I'm wrong but I think they do that better than any other sport. I agree. I think tennis is close. Tennis has an issue though with technology. So like from the racket standpoint, right? So I think 
golf gets over the technology. So I have a guy, Byron, I, I have uh, Bryson DeChambeau who, who drives it 350 yards. And I think, you know, Jack, if you look at Jack, well, it's just as sweet. It's the swing. And I don't think that current uh, tennis fans appreciate the mechanics of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s as much because I maybe the game is totally different. Um, but I, I, I do think from the standpoint of actual, like, you know, treating, treating them and thinking it's the same game. I think you're right on that. You, you, you mentioned Gary player. I used to go to his, uh, his got charity golf tournament. And, um, I was talking to Freddie couples and, uh, and I said, I said, Freddie, and this, again, this is like the charm of the seventies and eighties and Jimmy, I'm just going back because I just want people to understand like how willy nilly it was and how unplanned things were. So I said to Fred, I'm like, all right, so you were at, you were at the university of Houston with Jim Nance roommate in 1980. And then like, I saw like in 1981, like there was some sort of weird thing that went down with you, you going pro. And he goes, yeah, I was visiting my girlfriend in California and there was this club that was there and it said, uh, PGA tournament. And I went up there and I said, Hey, uh, you know, can I play? And he's like, Hey, you're Freddie couples. You're the top amateur in the country. He goes, but if you play and you take the money, you know, you can't, you, you're, you're actually turning pro. So Freddie's like, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I'll do it. Like what? Any, 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 any tees up and takes 14 grand and then calls his dad who didn't know he was doing it. He's like, Hey dad, uh, just turn pro. Right. And the dad, and the dad's like, what the hell are you doing? Like yeah. that, what that, that was the 70s and 80s. Like, who right. would do that today? He's the top amateur in the country. He's like, okay, let's play golf. Like, what? Right. It, you yeah. know, so those yeah, those things were crazy. You know, and I was, I, was things, I actually right? had a, yeah. And then it was also, I'm sure you remember, um, you know, all the, with the 70s and 80s and all these small tennis tournaments in between the big tennis tournaments, like at country clubs, like uh, my, 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 fa- my grandfather, uh, was like the head of tennis at Tamarack uh, at Woodmont Country Club in Tamarack, Florida. You came right. in in a helicopter, <laughs> in a helicopter, landed on something, you know, in 83, 84, right? And it's like, it, and it, it was every player was there at a country club. Like, get out of here. <laughs> you know, this was the best of times. Yeah, it was, it was a great time. You're right. But it, it's, it, it's, a, it's amazing what, what started it was sports, all sports. You know, and how it started, and 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 the ride that it had to get to where it is now. I mean, to go back and and to think that uh, you know the the places that we played were were just a thought of being built. You know, and then what it, it had a the there was a court, there was a court and metal stands. That's right. What it was. That's what it was. Right in the middle of a cornfield, in a lot of places, and and uh, you know we started drawing fans, and people liked what we were doing, and. You know, pretty pretty soon things started happening, and uh, it, it's grown into what it is today. But it's been it's been fun to to see all that, and you know, walking into twenty five thousand seat stadium, saying, yeah, back in the early seventies, you know, we were walking into twenty five hundred seat stadium right. back then, you know, and happy to get it, which was pretty cool, though. It's a, it's amazing because when when I told my parents, I said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I like the uh, the green pages of USA Today as much as the red pages of USA Today. I stop, right? And that's that's for us old people who actually read a newspaper, but it was the business section and then the sports section. And mm-hmm. I, I said, you know, I want to be a business journalist, but I want to cover the business of sports. 
And my mom, and this was in you know 1999, and my mom was like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, no one talks about it. It's a, it's a, it's billions and billions of dollars, and there's no one who covers it nationally." And uh, yeah, it's just been amazing covering it for the last decade, um, or two decades, and and just seeing how if you don't understand the business today, you actually can't be a good fan if you don't understand. Uh, why, like, are the tennis players or the ATP, are they unionized? Are they not? Where's the prize money coming from? How do you know all this stuff, your owner's capacity to spend. If you're a, if you're a fan of a pro sports team, how base your compensation matches up, how draft picks back. If you don't understand that you're just the dumb guy on the radio. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's been, a, it's been amazing to like be a part of that and, and follow kind of the, the rise and the importance of, just understanding the business of things. But did you get into uh, gambling as like a natural progression of that, or were, have you always been interested in gambling? So, so I, I, I was only interested in gambling because it got people's attention. So when I went to Northwestern and I was a, a freshman, and I didn't want to toil in the daily paper, which was the harder paper to do, and there was a weekly paper. And the weekly paper was like scattered on the floor of the bathroom, you know, really, really wasn't thought of as it was thought of as a rag, essentially. And I said, well, what happens if I make the sports all betting? And then all of a sudden people started reading it, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it was just my, it was just my means to relevance. And that's, that's what it was. And, you know, so I covered gambling over the years, a little bit at ESPN, um, a little bit at CNBC. And so I had gone to ESPN, went to CNBC, back to ESPN. And, you know, I had a little bit left on my ESPN deal in December 2018. And the Supreme Court had basically said, now now states can decide whether they want gambling or not. And I'm sitting here in New Jersey, and they're the ones that brought the case against the Supreme Court. And I'm saying, holy hell, New Jersey is going to be the sports gambling capital of the world. And it, they opened it up in a way that no other state had. There's 27 sport, mobile sports books. Um, and and uh, in 2020, $6.3 billion was bet on sports in New Jersey. And they trounced Nevada. So, so I, I, just, I just felt that, you know, I wanted to be in a place where, you know, there was, there was relevance. Um, and I probably do about 80% betting now, which is fine. I mean, part of me was like, are you going to like this? You know, are you going to give up the sports business? But as you know, I still do the sports business stuff on Twitter. And if there's a big story, I'm going to do it. I've been covering the memorabilia world like crazy with, I mean, this is, and I know you want to talk about that too. I mean, just covering how crazy cards and all this mm. memorabilia has gone in the, in COVID is, has been exciting as well. Is that, is that turned into be what's old is new? Again? A little bit, a little yeah. bit like, so, so there's a couple things that happened when COVID happened, people started cleaning their houses like never before, right? Like all of a sudden we have time, right? <laughs> not only am I seven feet from my pantry in my office and trying not to be 300 pounds, but I'm also going through my closets and seeing what's in there. And not only right. that parents are going through closets and they're seeing things and they say, Hey, do you want to keep this? So there's that's one thing. So that's old is new. This is old, and now I want to. I want it. Don't throw it out. And then the mm-hmm. other thing is, I you know when every day is Groundhog Day, you have to remember the past that you smiled. I mean, let's be honest here. 
Um, and so, so I think there was something to looking back to the days of old. And I think finally it was in terms of buying cards, buying memorabilia, buying things. There's a, there's a dopamine rush when you buy something on eBay or you win an auction or you, and to be honest with you, not to make it like an addictive thing, but we needed that too. Mm-hmm. When we don't have normal human interaction, we have to create things that are firing in our head. Otherwise, like our brain dies. Right. And so, so, so I don't want to make it like too crazy here, but I do think that some of the collecting and all the stuff that started happening comes out of necessity for us to survive in a world we've never known. I was just talking to Brett about it, and and uh, geez, I, I I've moved. I left Illinois when I was a young kid, and and uh, I was thinking that uh, when when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, I had shoeboxes full of of trading cards, you know, back from the the fifties and the sixties, and, oh, yeah. and you know, I, and I'm just thinking that oh yeah, you oh, want to throw God. up. Oh. <laughs> Now I do. I'm feeling that now. It's but, but let me, Jimmy, Jimmy, let me make you feel better, okay? If you didn't throw them out, then no one would have thrown them out. And if no one threw them out, they wouldn't be worth anything. Well, yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. I mean, you have exactly. to think of it. You have to think of it that way. Uh, and just to tell a little little story, because this is one of my favorite. You know, in 1952, Top started making cards, and and the 1952 Mickey Mantle became. You know, now uh, the, the best condition 1952 Mickey Mantle is worth about 30 million. Okay. Mm. But, but in 1952, they made two sets of cards. They made cards one through 300. And then later in the season, a higher number and a higher number of cards. And Mickey Mantle was card number 311. He was in the second set. They couldn't sell those. People were bored by the time. They're like, yeah, it's deep into the season. They couldn't sell those. So it was 10 cents a pack. And then they went to five cents a pack and they went, they went to one cent for five cards and they still couldn't get rid of them. And they still couldn't get rid of them by 1959. So here we are with 1952 cards. It's 1959. No one can get rid of them. So they, they brought them on a barge in Staten Island and dumped them all into the ocean. And that's why, you know, a 1952 tops Mickey me again, they threw them out. So don't right. feel bad about you throwing them out. <laughs> they actually dumped them. I'm not feeling the bad, but Brett's kicking me under the table. What do you say, Brett? Supply. I said we'll just get rid of most of the supply. We'll create our own supply. Did, were you were you a saver of your gear or a giver? I I gave a lot of every match I, I walked off, I gave everything away. Uh, my shoes, uh, my wristbands, my shirts, everything, and and uh, rackets, rackets uh, everything that uh, at the end of the tournament, and I gave it away because you know charities wanted it; they could raise money, and so I, you know, I would uh, you know be a part of that, and you know, uh, just thinking, you know, thinking back that uh, that you know all the people that have those now. I mean, I, I hope it does them some good. I hope that it works out well for them. But uh, no, I, I was not a saver. So there, cause there's two types of athletes there. There's what's amazing is like, you know, um, Michael Jordan for who he is and how collectible he is. Um, I was sitting in his office three years ago and he doesn't have a pair of shoes. He does. He actually just doesn't care. Yeah. And he was a giver too. I'm the same way. And then you have, <laughs> and then you have Emmett, you know, it's like, okay, I won my games. I, you know, that was it. Emmett Smith, Every time he scored a touchdown, 
you know, get this thing labeled, you know, he's every single ball, you know, I mean, so there, there's, 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 there's two pieces, you know? So, but I, I try to, I try to help athletes, uh, you know, get some, so, so a couple years ago I started collecting tickets and, um, you know, tickets are special because unlike cards, um, they're like photos, but you can carry them around. So they started grading tickets like you could grade cards. And I came up with my 50 events that I that I uh, had to collect and have the ticket of. It's, That's expensive. Cool. it's expensive to get it back. But what I tried to do, and I'm going to do this with you, Jimmy, okay? So what I tried to do is when I got one, I tried to get another for the athlete. So when Michael Phelps, so I, I said to Michael Phelps, I said, Michael, do you have... When you won your eighth gold medal in Beijing out of eight events, do you have that ticket? I said, of course not. I said, okay, so I'm going to send you one. I'll send you one. You're going to autograph it for me. That's your price. I give, I give you the ticket. So so I'm going to find you one of these babies. Connor's Crickstein right here. Look, look rated, at that. Rated September 2nd. Awesome. God, that's unbelievable. 1991. You got the you got the infinity on the back, you know, which is just yes, yes, and it should, it, they're just they're just so, it's just so cool because that you is, carry this around, right? That's like, pretty cool. Tell me, right? Tell me that, like, okay, rackets and how are you going to keep all this stuff? But when you when you get it, so, so my goal is I got to find you a second ticket here. By the way, it's not easy. Like the th- you would be surprised. You'd be like, well, there was twenty five thousand people at the U.S. Open that day. But again, as years go on and all these right. things go on, it's like, you know, there were 90,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome for WrestleMania three when Hulk Hogan slammed the giant in 1987. <laughs> and that was one of my tickets on my list. Well, it took me two and a half years to Jeez. find one of those because again, like, and, but that's, that's also the journey and that's, what's cool. And so that's why I love you know, I have probably a, you know, five, seven million dollar collection and the things that I collect are completely unique, you know, really cool. Like that's so I got to get you that ticket. I, I didn't, I didn't have that, uh, that foresight or that feeling that, I mean, I, I, I was busy doing it, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I should have, you know, got a towel from but, every but, but hold on, hold on. Also, in fairness to you, you were busy doing it. And if you were actually thinking about anything else, you wouldn't have been doing. No, that's, that's correct. That was thing. my point. You were, you were, you were right. focused. Uh, and he's, yeah. a, he's an individual player. Like Emmett Smith's got like an equipment guy. Probably correct. All the stuff for him. So he's probably just, and you weren't even thinking about that stuff back then. You're right. You almost give it to your buddies. as like hooking them up. Like, yeah, you're take it, take it. Maybe. You yeah. So I got, so, so my, my, my pride and joy are my tickets. And then I have a check collection, which is really insane. <laughs> And people are like, what are you talking about? You collect checks. And, and you know, basically like five years ago, I went to a, a show, like a memorabilia show, and the guy handed me a stack of checks and he said, These are these are Bart Giamatti checks, the former commissioner of baseball. And uh, they're all 50 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, if they're all, how could they all be 50 bucks? Maybe one is like the Pete Rose investigation, and the other is you stayed at a holiday inn. How could they both be 50 bucks? They have different stories. Right. And so I realized that people collected checks just because they felt better about the authenticity of the signature, nothing to do with the stories. So I started collecting, you know, so, so I would, I would reach out to someone and say, I need a Babe Ruth check. And the guy's like, okay. You know, I had a reputation for like, he's like, what do you want on it? What are you looking for? 
I'm like, well, he's either paying for a prostitute, he's either eating too much or drinking too much. Find <laughs> one of those three, <laughs> and we're good. And I, he finds a check for me for Babe Ruth, who you know, Wally Pip gets a bad, bad shake because yeah, Lou Gehrig came in and Wally was out and Wally had a headache. Wally was also Babe Ruth's roommate. And those guys pounded a bottle of vodka every night after every game. So don't tell me that guy didn't show up. Okay. But anyway, (laughs) Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth filling out a check to the Park Avenue Circle Liquor Shops, which is still on 38th and Madison, New York City, for the equivalent of $15,000 in 1940, who goes to a liquor store and buys fifteen thousand dollars worth of stuff? Um, you know, so you know, or Amelia Ear- I have Amelia Earhart getting paid for or paying for nose surgery, or John F. Kennedy, uh, his subscription to the Washington Post uh, three months before he became president. So, like all these weird things, but it's it's cool. I love it, gentlemen. Are you ready to take your skincare to the next level? With Father's Day just around the corner, it's time to seize the opportunity. Our trusted partners at Caldera Lab, the leaders in men's skincare, have the tools to improve the skin of the father figures in your life. With their clinically proven products, wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging are visibly reduced and a surefire boost to their confidence this summer. Join Caldera Lab for the skincare upgrade trusted by countless men. Use code Connors at calderalab.com to enjoy an exclusive 20% off their finest products. I know the beating my skin takes as I get older, and I'm looking to do anything I can to reduce any signs of aging. Caldera Lab has everything I need to hook me up and to keep me looking good. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products by combining pharmaceutical-grade science along with nature's purest and most potent ingredients. Get 20% off with our code Connors at calderalab.com. That's 20% off at calderalab.com by using the code Connors. Make father time a thing of the past this summer with the best skincare tools from Caldera Lab. What, what do you think has made it so big? I mean, obviously it's the COVID, people are at home and that stuff, but do you think it's the grading? Like the process yes, of turning and absolutely, into, yeah, yeah. So, investments right. So, so in the eighties, when I used to collect and I'd run around and you know we'd we'd do card shops at all the dingy places like the like the Ramada Inns and the Don Carter Lanes and the you know, Jimmy, you probably had a signing at a Don Carter Lanes or something in Florida, you know. Every, every bowling alleys and, and hotel lobbies, you know, that was the eighties. And, and so when we had that, we would say, here's this card, this is mint. And then it'd be like, okay, but how do you know it's more mint than the other? Or once grading came and once you could say like, this is, you know, like this, this is graded and this company says it's this mint. And then, then you could sell it on eBay and there would be a across the board, your card equals my card if they're both a nine. Mm-hmm. And I think that changed things. And I do think, you know, like uh, even on something like tickets and in autographs, you know, there's so many fake autographs. Right. I mean, and obviously like Jimmy, you know this too. Once you once you had the scribble at the match, it's like all bets are off, right? Like someone says like, no, I got this at the match. Like, you know, because there's a scribble and then who, 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 who could, who, who would be bad at faking a scribble? So- right. So to autograph authentication became 
you know, something that 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 was really big. And we realized that 95% of the stars that we had autographs for were fake. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, and, you know, and then the, this, this all brought complexity as a sports business. A guy would have a signature, like a, a, a baseball player who got paid a lot of money, would have a, a signature for the, for the guy who paid him a lot of money. And then he'd have a hotel signature, right? Like, you know, Barry Bonds had like a line, BB line, but like for the guy who paid him, it was B-A-R-R-Y-E-N-D-S, you know? So, so, um, yeah, no. And it's been, it's been, I think a lot of people collecting cards. And I do think that memorabilia really is an alternative asset class, not to get too complicated, but you know, when, when you're a guy, I was uh, talking to, I was getting uh, refinancing my mortgage and a guy said, uh, he goes, there's a lot of money moving in and out. And I just, you know, we're trying to be safe here. And I go, I've never missed a mortgage payment, sir. He's like, yeah, I know. He's like, but we're, you know, this is, we're just trying to, you know. And I said, let me ask you a question, okay? I just put like $150,000 into memorabilia. He's like, okay. And I go, what do you think's a safer investment for a return? Doing that or your 0.1% in savings? Like, it's like, you know, as, as there's inflation and as our money isn't doing anything sitting in a mattress or sitting in a bank, these are real alternative asset classes and people want to grow their money and growing their money with fun, something they can smile at. And especially in COVID, something that they can build community with is amazing. Is it, is it here to stay? I think there are pockets that are here to stay. There are things that, and I always say, you know, if it looks like a bubble, it probably is, right? So you have these modern basketball cards that, you know, come out of a pack and they're obviously like a 10 of 10. You just pulled them out of the pack. It's not going to look like a 1960 card. And they were selling like crazy. And I think that the modern basketball kind of bubble uh, is, is probably, you know, going to go down. And then there's things that people don't understand. So I'll give you a tennis example. So Serena and Federer cards got hot. And the reason they got hot is because when these cards are graded, the card comp, the, the graders put out something called the population report. And that population report means how many they graded. So someone would say when this pandemic started, Hey, there are these, you know, 2003 Serena rookie cards and very few have been graded. Do you know why? Because before COVID, they were five bucks and no one would spend 25 bucks to grade them. So we're so into the minutia and the data that we lose, you know, certain things. And by the way, like this company NetPro made like eight gazillion cards. And I always love, by the way, to remember having been in the business long enough when no one cared. I mean, like they have a stand at the US Open and like it's the most blank stand ever. You know, no, no one's going up to it or... You know, the 1986 Fleer set with Michael Jordan in it is is probably, you know, the Michael Jordan card got up to 738,000. And I, I just remember, and again, this is, I'm sorry, I'm just a nostalgic 80s kid. I just remember that in, in 1986, basketball cards were just not legitimate. It was baseball. So you, mm-hmm. had, you, 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 you would look and you'd have a 50 cent a pack Fleer basketball and 50 cent a pack Fleer baseball and a hundred out of a hundred, even though I went to see Michael Jordan and love basketball, you would take that baseball pack. And today, and today a box of those 1988 Fleer, if it's sealed for in baseball, you can get for 15 bucks, the box of the 86 basketball sealed 400 
thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's you know, so it's like, and it's the same thing like the 1952 tops. I remember they couldn't give those away in 1986. They couldn't hand no, they couldn't hand them to you. So I think they're gonna be bubbles. Um, but I think there's there's things that are new. I think sealed music is gonna be big. I think sealed toys are going to be big. You're seeing like Star Wars, you're seeing stuff. There, there, whenever there's something that maybe wasn't supposed to be collectible to start and people started opening them, mm-hmm. see video games now are going crazy. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like who for Hanukkah and Christmas said, Hey, thanks, mom. I'm not going to open this up. I'm going to put this, like, I'm going to store this away for safekeeping. This is going to be worth something. But it's like, how many, knowing that, that it was never conceived as a collectible, the scarcity is just, is just insane. And that, that's what, that's, I, I have comfort in my collections in things that are, so small. So among my 50 on my list, I got my Connors Crickstein, but I also have, I'm like, I want to find the ticket when Newt Rockney said at halftime, win one for the Gipper. How hard am I going to have to look to get that? And I, I found it 1928 Notre Dame army at Yankee stadium. There's five in the world that will ne- I will never have to worry about pretty much anything with that because there's going to be five in the world now. And there might be four tomorrow. There That's won't right. be six. <laughs> there will never be six. You know, the, the, other, the other one was, uh, again, I'm like, how am I going to find this? And I love the chase. I said, I have to get Jesse Owens becoming fastest man in the world in front of Hitler. I mean, oh, that yeah. is just like the most ridiculous thing ever. Hitler has his 1936 Beijing Olympics, and he's doing the whole Aryan white race thing. And a black guy kicks the shit out of everyone in the fastest <laughs> right. man in the world race. Like that's a little bit of a problem. Um, so I, I got that, I got that ticket too. Uh, and it's, it's like, again, you look at these things and it's just amazing. So as oh. long as, long as you, when you're collecting, I, I always tell people, you know, try to zig when other people are zagging, don't mm. follow. If you follow, you're going to be subject to the people who you're following, right? Mm-hmm. If if a guy if a guy has is is overextended and he bought fifty of these things and you have three, he's going to want to sell them so he could take money off the table. Then the market's flooded. Then that's your problem. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how it's become such a business. Yeah, you know, like it's not, never even thought of that. Kids, the. Uh, at the stores it's almost guys investing or you know looking at it more it's like a grown-up thing oh yeah oh oh yeah and they they do have a problem in that right we used to do it for the bubble gum the bubble <laughs> gum. The piece of bubble gum sure tops was tops was a bubble gum company and they use cards to try to get you to eat their bubble gum. you know i mean right. um you know but didn't they just sell tops didn't we see something yeah they just they sold they sold top well they a spac acquired it for 1.3 billion dollars and yeah, I mean they, you know, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think you have a problem and I think this is a problem in tennis and I think there's a problem in college football and I think there's a problem everywhere. The money is with the adults right now. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get the kids in, you're done for the future. And right. so you have to think about what is the cost of you not getting the kids. So so I think about tennis and I think I always think about this and and obviously, I'm sure you guys have talked ad nauseum about the American man, man men's game and, you know, how it is kind of nationalistic. And, you know, people just haven't had a major since Roddick in 03. And it's like, 
you know, that's just the craziest drought since the beginning of time. And as you know, your tennis, what's up? I mean, are, oh, I know you've, been, my tennis. you've been a tennis fan since the beginning. I've been a tennis fan since the beginning. I used to get day one of the U.S. Open, get my draw sheet, get my mini pencil. And I'd, I, I would I would put in Thomas Engfist and I'd, <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd put in the, the Woodies and the, oh, I'd put them all and I know them all, you know, yeah. and, and that, that was, that was great. You know, like that was, that was the best. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think I'd like to see kids in the first four rows at mm-hmm. the U.S. Open. You know, I, I've talked to athletic directors about this. You know, they have the donors, the donors in the best seats at the football stadiums and they put right. the kids in the corner. And it's like, well, then they say the kids don't want to stay. Well, you gave them the shittiest seats. Right. Right. That's the truth. And then when and then when those people are donors, you're going to say, well, why aren't they here? Because you didn't put them at the 50 yard line and they watched on TV and they don't feel the relationship. So, like, again, that's the, that's that's the catch 22 with cards and memorabilia right now. It's like that's where the money is. But if, if my kids aren't opening packs, they're not going to be there in 10 years. Right. Yeah. I used to love going to the qualifiers at the U.S. Open. I went go on the LIRR and watch, you know, the real guys gut it out. And yeah. you know, people not people not realizing, like when you see that cue next to a draw sheet at the U.S. Open, damn, that guy's played five ma- five matches yeah. in five days yeah, just just to get in. <laughs> Just to just just to get in. And and what's crazy is the difference. So when when I became a sports business reporter, I said, you know what, I want to I want to follow the hundredth ranked tennis player in the world, the hundredth ranked golfer golfer in the world. And I I they have to be able to open up all their books. Man, the hundredth ranked tennis player in the world when I was doing that was breaking even. I mean, he would Matthias Boker from from Georgia. He's the NCAA champion. He was, you know, I went to Lexington. I saw, you know, the while he's serving, the Chick-fil-A cow is walking in the background. You know, I mean, it's not exactly the most glorious thing no. in the world. No, absolutely uh, not. You know, and and uh, you know, so it's 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 so hard. So I, you know, I've appreciated I think a lot of people just look at the tennis stars, and I've appreciated some of the journey and been to some of these, some of these lower level tournaments and and laugh when the guy who covers tennis betting at the action network where i work is betting more on the tournament than the poor guy who if wins the match is gonna make (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's ridiculous i wanted to ask you about that i mean it seems like tennis is usually last to adapt to a lot of the new technologies or or whatever it is and they've been slow to adapt to the gambling and I wanted to talk to you. I mean you you say you have a guy at the action network how is tennis viewed overall like in, in your world, is it lagging behind? Is there? A I mean, I, th- I think to some, to some, it's seen as a good value because it's like women's basketball. It is what it is. The games happen, and no one's paying attention to it, especially at those, uh, you know, challenger level matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can, if you really know down deep, and you can research, uh, you 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 got a good chance. Um, and it's pretty simple from a betting standpoint. You know, there are, there are, hockey and baseball sometimes can get a little bit complicated. You know, tennis is just pretty much money line. Who's going to win? I mean, that's the big thing. And you're live betting someone who can, someone who's down two sets to to love. You know, come come all the way back. Um, and uh, but yeah, no. The, I mean, there are these tennis is the because of the conflict of how little some of these guys get paid, and and that you can bet 
you know, things on him. Obviously, we've we've had the the Russians and a lot of issues with either people throwing matches mm-hmm. because, because the because because they can make more money by throwing a match than than winning it. Um, you know, that's a little bit of a problem. And then there are these courtsiders who sit by the sit by the uh, court and try to jump the electronic feed, essentially calling in like what happens so that if you get a split second early, you can bet on something after the point has been played, but then you can bet it. Right. I mean, like that's, it's crazy. That's crazy. Um, So, so I think there's, there's, it's rife with cheating because of, again, what I said. Um, And uh, you know, but I, I think tennis is a, is a good sport. Um, I just, how, how how do you get around that? Is there any way? Well, you look you look at the college players, right? You'd think that the college players, um, you know, th- they would be the most uh, suspect to to try to, you know, they don't have like for college basketball or college football. Why don't you pay them? They're making nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But what's happened is the, some of the states have said a lot of the states actually have said you can't gamble on college sports in this state because they don't want the guys compromised. I think it's for some point in tennis, if there's a threshold, there's either got to be a maximum bet on, on smaller tournaments, or you can't bet those at all. It just, it can't, it can't be. I mean, there, there, it's just too easily compromised and too much of a black eye for tennis. I Mm -hmm. think it's not, those guys are playing to get up, but I mean, you, you, you can't have, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars being bet on guys who are, above a thousand in the world. It just, mm-hmm. it just can't, it just can't happen. And the nature of them playing in new Delhi and in some of these markets, you know, make it a lot more sketchier because there yeah, could be, because there could be someone on the ground who can easily stop them and compromise them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of these tournaments are played in parks and I mean, they even put like challenges. Oh down. yeah. Ab- absolutely. 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 I, I have, I have uh, high hopes for tennis. I mean, I, when I look at the U.S. Open and I look at Flushing Meadows and, you know, I see a, it's like a Disneyland, what they built, you know, the greatest food, the greatest everything. Um, but I, I, I just hope that in the largesse that it is and how big it is now that, you know, the, the charm doesn't go away. And I feel like obviously the, the women's game uh, from an American standpoint has been great, but you know, from the men's men's standpoint, I think it's really hurt. And we've, we've, we've said, you know, Hey, uh, Jack sock, it's TFO. It's going to be all these guys. And, you know, they, they get up, they're moving up. And then it's like, we don't, we don't get, we don't get far enough. So I, 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 I think I hope and pray that, that we get there from an American man standpoint sometime soon. So what 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 uh, you said it that that they make uh, they make the the events like the U.S. Open and, and a lot of the bigger tournaments here in the United States they they almost make them a destination, correct? You know, uh, yeah. you know to, for the food and, and uh, you, you know for the weather for the for the entertainment and yeah and, they should and, oh, they should call it everything but the tennis. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of my point, uh, you know. And, and then oh by the way, there's a tennis match going on too. Is, is that does that, is that uh, taking away from from the from the game and the uh, the tennis itself you know i i i think it's a it's a little bit of a dis- distraction i think from a men's game standpoint the distraction is almost meant to happen right like because if you're a fan of 
men's tennis, men's American tennis. If you want to bring people in, you have to have the distractions because mm-hmm. we're just not get we're not getting there, right? That's so true. you're actually protecting yourself by by making a Disneyland around it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but yeah, no, it's mu- it's much harder to actually get on the court. I want people to love tennis, and I and this could be uh, maybe I'm just hypocritical here, but I, I just think when I see so many people on the big courts and, and they, I just want to scream to people and say, just go to the smaller courts and just have some room and sit down on that, those metal or stand up in between those two courts and just be at the, at the ball, be at the, Mm -hmm. watch the pace of the ball, watch it hit the court, watch the spin, watch, because it's totally different in a big stadium. You right. really can't enjoy watching tennis 70 rows up. You can't, right. it, it's just, it's ping pong. It's not. And so, so I don't know. I always, I always want to tell people like, you know, just do that. Get, get, get as close as you can to great pro tennis. And, uh, you know, I think tennis is always going to be what it is. I don't, I think in a way it's like the NHL and hockey. It's like, it's never going to be the biggest, but I think, uh, I think it should just be as good as it could be. And I don't know if it is right now. Um, I know that as a big tennis fan for the four slams, I'm all in, but you're going to try to talk to me about the masters or Cincinnati or Lipton or whatever Miami open. I'm not there. Right. I'm not. There. So what, what, uh, what row were you in at the Crickstein match? I was far up. I was far <laughs> up. I actually, yeah, I, I, I was far up on that one. That should have given me one of these. I'd have brought you down. I I wasn't the one who said, I love you, Jimmy. (laughs) There Um, there was only one. Yeah, there was only, there was only one. I, I I wasn't the, I wasn't the screamer, but um, yeah. The ticket would would be to give, would be the McEnroe Patrick, because, you know, so many people left that match early. Yes. And then he's, he's, he's had probably a hundred thousand people tell him that, you know, I was the one who stayed at that match. You know, I was one of the few people who stayed. Yeah, like, they yeah, were, right. yeah. The Crickstein match, there was one, which, which one went late into the night? I don't remember that one, which, which, uh, which uh, Patrick, uh, played the Patrick, Patrick went late into the night. So I had, correct. And there was a juniors match after that. It was Ricky Becker of Stanford against J.J. Jackson, who was the number one seed in the junior <laughs> tournament. And Ricky Becker was the number one player at my high school. So my brother and I were there until it was like, uh, it was it was the biggest mistake I made since going to an 1130 performance of Dances with Wolves. And I got out at like four in the morning. <laughs> being like, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, they, they they played that juniors match after you guys. And, uh, and I remember I was there too. So man, I mean, it's just, just, just great memories and you know thank you for for giving me great memories oh, and it was always, hey it was always great right september 2nd was always your birthday had the really cake, good day you know yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was darren okay, we we talked a, a couple of weeks ago brett and i did a podcast and and, and we uh tried to uh to explain nfts oh my god <laughs> and i can and, do it I can do it. Well, yeah, and we didn't do a very good job. And and we had a lot of replies that said, what in the hell is an NFT? So can, can you kind of, let me, let me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in two minutes. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to start from a high level, which, but I'll go very slow. 
something that is fungible is automatically changed into money. So if I have two Bitcoin, that is worth $100,000, right? I could always change Bitcoin into dollars. If something is non-fungible, that means that on its face, it has no worth. I can't take this 1991 US Open ticket, bring it to a bank, give it to the teller, and the teller gives me $10. Now, there might be value to it that someone ascribes, but it on its face does not have value. So an NFT is a non-fungible token that what it is connected to, whether it's a piece of art, again, that might have value by itself, but what it's connected to does not have any value that you could bring to a bank or that you can immediately exchange for money. The reason why it's called an NFT is for security reasons. So you put something on what's called the blockchain. And so there are 49 pieces of art and I own number seven out of 49. So when I say you own a 1952 Mickey Mantle Tops rookie card, do you own the photo of Mickey Mantle? Mm-hmm. No, you don't own the photo of Mickey Mantle. You own the rights to buy and to, to sell that card, that one card. It's mm. the same thing with an NFT. I could own a highlight of an NBA game and I have number seven out of 79, okay? And I don't own that highlight. When it runs on SportsCenter, I don't get a dividend. When it runs on YouTube, I'm not getting credit. But I have the right to sell that one associated with the highlight. So I, 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 you know, I've covered this every day, and I haven't gotten into it with the exception of one. I think that NFTs connected to games are where money is. So I own a stable of digital horses, believe it or not. And Jimmy, I'm, I'm, I swear I'm not on LSD right now. Okay, <laughs> I own a stable of digital horses that that race fake races for real money. Okay, try to stay with me here. They, <laughs> they fake they fake breed fake horses, and I get real money. Okay, I picked a bad time to give up drinking. <laughs> it's 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 like coming it's like coming to America when when the guy goes, son, lay off the drugs. <laughs> it's 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 it's, it's, it's hard spinning. and it's challenging. Yeah, it's crazy. So how did you get into that? What did you say? How did I get into it? Yeah, because I I watch my kids. I have a seven year old twin boys and a nine year old girl, and I watch them play these games, and you know, dad, can I have $9 for a fake Jersey on my digital character? You know, like my son, my son thinks he's, my son thinks he's like building an aquarium. And one day I look at my American express card and I'm like, it charges me $50 for a virtual shark. I'm like, we got to sit down here. Okay. Cause somehow, somehow I got debited for a fake shark in your aquarium. Hey, hey, there's a reason that that game Roblox, you know, that my kids play is like, you know, they have like a $30 billion IPO. No wonder 29 billion was from me. 
crazy. So, so you raise them, race them. And you, ra- you, you race, race the horses. There's all these algorithms, right? Like if you buy, it's just like the real rate. If you buy a Nakamoto Japanese horse, you know, like mm-hmm. that's the best of the best. And then you have to figure out the distances. And um, it's, it's, it's in the beginning. So I'm just mm-hmm. kind of learning. But I just love the complex game behind it. It's not just, oh, here's an NBA highlight. I own it. I like complex math, data, all that type of stuff and playing that game. Clearly, it's like an adult type game. Um, but these are what what's funny is the reason I knew it, it was something big is there's a bunch of guys who've made four or five million dollars over the past couple of years just playing fantasy sports. Right. They 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 write that. I know. Right. They, they write their they write algorithms. They select the right lineups. They they take advantage of numbers, what people aren't doing. They're playing fantasy sports and they're winning a million dollar prize three, four or five times in a row wow. or, or over or certain. These guys got into this horse game and I saw them and, you know, they're starting to figure out how to win every race every time. Wow. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's what it is. So that, that gave me a little bit more confidence that I was in the right place, but it's hard. I, I, what's weird about the NFT world is I've had friends come to me and say, Hey, I bought this piece of NFT art. You know, what do you think of it? I said, do you invest in real art? And they'd be like, no, I'm like, okay. So now that it's digital, you have more confidence that you know what real art is. I mean, it, it doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. If you have real art and you think you can analyze real art, right. And you think, you know, the value of real art, fine, fine. But if you just got into art, cause there's digital art and it's easy to click a button and spend $5,000 on it. I don't give you a chance. But, but, but didn't, didn't they just, uh, one of the, uh, women tennis players, didn't they? Uh, yeah. They were, they were, well, there was a tennis, but yeah, they called it like an NFT cause it was sold on an NFT site, but it's basically like a, a tattoo advertisement and she was like yeah, sponsor you know, deal or something. 350 in the world or something like that i think she should work on her strokes yeah. <laughs> they just threw the word nft in there because they knew it would grab headlines exactly, exactly. yeah so when you started explaining i told brett when we kind of dabbled in it uh, a, a couple of weeks ago you know you, you lost me a digital you, you know, to it's just, it's hard for me to to grab on and, and, and to really understand that i mean then and it seems you know, the, the, you said you can explain it in two minutes. I mean, that's two minutes to people who understand. I mean, right. it's still hard for me to to grab onto something like that. And and, and then that makes sense. I mean, it's a uh, you know the way that twenty year olds talk about this metaverse and this digital world and this world that's not in front of our eyes. Um, right. No wonder it takes them so long to get to sleep. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's the future and it just it's, it's hard to understand because we're coming from the past yeah now. you know I, i've i've invested in crypto and it's like yeah. you know but i but i haven't five years ago and like you know jimmy you were talking about you feeling bad because you didn't keep your cards you know a lot of people have the fear of missing out that they didn't get in on crypto and you know now all of a sudden people have fortunes on it but you know i go back to like in 2014 when someone said to me you know you invest in crypto and i say let me ask you a question. What happens if someone comes up to you and says, hey, there's this company. Don't know if it has a CEO. Don't know if there are any earnings. Don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. You want to put 100000 in? <laughs> no, I don't want to put $100,000 in I've invested in, in a few like, of those companies already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. I know. Yeah, so- so- sounded good in the locker room when right. you were talking about, yeah, hey, exactly. there's, there's this great... Uh, 
you know, place to eat called Planet Hollywood. You know, let's uh, <laughs> whatever it is. But you know, you 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 did you did actually, you know, you went on your own from a sports marketing, you know, you had your own Jimmy Connors shirts and you you did that before other people other people really thought about doing that. Was that because you didn't like the deals that were coming to you? Or what, what, I mean, obviously it was at the end of your career, I think like 90, 91, 92. I remember like the, that wasn't a cactus, was it? What was the, what was the four, whatever? Uh, it was, it was uh, three the J's and C, J.C. Ah, three J's, ah. three C's. Why yeah, did you do that? I, uh, well, back, you know, when I first started, I mean, I, you know, I came uh, and, and didn't have any money. So uh, when I first came out, I, I was, I could have been connected with a, with a number of, that have turned out to be big time corporate sports companies. Right. Like an and, IMG? And, uh, no, uh, you know, with uh, Nike or Adidas oh, yeah, sure, or, sure. You know, sure. or, or whatever. And yeah, Ili, Ili Nastasi was the first uh, Nike spokesman. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and the, the old Wimbledon tennis shoes, the first ones I, I was wearing those also. And, and, uh, you know, Phil which Knight offered him stock. Yeah. Because he couldn't afford him being number one in the world. He couldn't afford to pay him what he was probably worth. Yeah. Offered him stock. And because another, of another, movie. another, another disgusting moment. <laughs> hey, listen, I've had a few. <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a few. So, you know, but, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any money. So, but I, you know, so I went with, uh, you know, I had my own shoes and I had my own clothes and I had, you know, uh, my, my own racket, my Wilson tennis racket. And so, you know, I kind of, I didn't get with one company. Uh, you know, to to outfit me, uh, you know, which, you know, as I look back, was it a mistake? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I did OK for the time and and uh, I was happy with my deals and so forth. Problem is, a lot of the companies that I were with went by the went by right. the wayside and and the other ones are still around and, and still doing gangbusters. And, and uh, you know, but I, I'm but not you know what you never. One of the things that 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 I always thought has become ridiculous in the past 15 years is when an agent does a marketing deal for a racket and the racket doesn't work out like Maria Sharapova did it, did a, a deal. I forgot the the racket with the O ports in it, where there's actually, you know, holes in the racket. You can't, you can't, you can't paint those things on, you can't no. paint holes. And like no. within seven months, it was like, so one thing that was good about you is you always had the racket that you wanted to play with. And as, as deep, you know, as I started covering this space, and I got in a, a, a epic, I wish I had a videotape of it. Damn. I got an epic fight with Leighton Hewitt in 2004 when, when, uh, after he won the U S open four or five, I can't remember, uh, Yonix put out a, uh, something with like, um, the racket that Leighton, uh, the, the racket that Leighton plays with. And, uh, and then I said, yeah, but that's not your racket. You actually play with the first racket from like three years ago, but it's painted to look like that. Mm-hmm. There was a whole, there was a whole like back and forth about no, I use that racket. I'm like, no, actually, you definitely don't. Um, no, I, I, so- I, I think I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying this is hearsay, but I think there was a few Picassos in the past. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, that exactly. You know, yeah, but I mean, you, you know, you had to find a racket that you could play with, and and I was lucky. Uh, you know, I, I picked up that uh, the T2000, and I mean, it was just like an extension of my arm. I was lucky and. You know, when I had to get rid of that racket in, in the mid-80s, and I think it was 1986, broke my heart. 
and it, and it broke my game. I mean, I never really found yeah, because you can't feel because you because you can't feel that you you can never get over the the lack of weight when you when that tech when that tech changed in like 87 88 and then like 1990 when everyone was going like it has to be light graphite like right. man like you looked at Sampras and he's like no I'm going to play with that Wilson profile until the right. day I die <laughs> right. you know and that's yeah. a, that was that was that was smart he, you know he yeah. had the same you know, damn racket you find something and, and you stick with it, you know? So, but, uh, you know, the game, the game's changed and, you know, that's the way it is. And, and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a tennis fan, a golf fan, sports fan, you know, you, you go along with the changes and, uh, you enjoy it just as much, I guess. Right. The, the game, the, this is me questioning you as a reporter. So I'm sorry, I'm taking this over, but you know, okay. the, the, you, you, the game definitely did change towards the end of your years, it became a game of power instead of strategy. Right. I mean, that, yeah, well, the equipment yeah. certainly did that, yeah. uh, you know, with the change of equipment and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the days of the imagination, uh, of, of a Nastasi or a, a McEnroe or changing your game and having three or four ways to play, uh, not, not really right after me, but I think more the generation after that, after Sampras, after Curry or after Chang, after Edberg, after, yeah. you know, yeah. Becker and guys like that, you know, then turned into, turn into the three point, the, 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 the three rally point in men's tennis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which then led to the homogenization of the game. You know, yes, where all the right. surfaces yes. are very similar, and all the guys. I mean, I, I hate to be at forty-two, the white man yelling at clouds, but having seen the game of the eighties, I, you know, when 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 rallies when when to me it it was a more beautiful game. Well, <laughs> I, I I look back, I was uh, I, I I was privileged to be a part of it when I was playing, and and with the you know with the guys that that I grew up with, and you know who were all. Uh, their own characters and had their own personality and, and their own style of game and and uh, what they did at the at that time over those 10 12 15 years uh, to help move the game forward it was so much fun and uh, still friends with some of them today but uh, you know we get older and, and life changes so you know we kind of all go on we all move on it's amazing it's it's been a blast being with you uh, yeah, got, this, this, uh, this was a treat. This was a treat for me, you know, lifelong fan. And, um, you know, I'm getting you that, I'm, I'm you, that ticket's going to arrive. I'm getting you that ticket. You need that ticket. I'm going to, I'm going to slab it up nice for you. And at least you'll have, <laughs> you'll have, you'll have one, you'll have one thing. You'll have one thing from, you know, one of your, you know, the funny thing, you, you know, Crickstein got out of tennis and then he became an exotic fish salesman, which was, uh, which was kind of crazy. Cause I was looking him up, trying to talk to him and I was, you know, I was like, wow, he became an exotic fish salesman. Wow. That's some, that's something different. Uh, yeah. one more, I got one more thing that's that, that I forgot to tell you on the checks because, uh, it's a treat. So I have the greatest football coach of all time paying one of the greatest tennis coaches of all time for a tennis lesson. I have Vince Lombardi paying Nick Boletari <laughs> for a tennis lesson. And I, and I got, I got it in an auction and I called up Nick and I said, Nick, I got a treat for you. He goes, what do you got? I said, I have something that I got to know what the real story is. So you're going to help me get to the bottom of it. I got Vince Lombardi paying you for a tennis lesson. And you know, Nick's, Nick's getting up there. 
but he said to me, I know what year it is. And I go, get out of here. He goes, oh, I know what year it is. I said, what year was it? He goes, it's 1964. I go, it is 1964. You are right. He goes, really? I said, now, now, why would you know that? He goes, because in 1964, I was in Puerto Rico as the tennis coach of the Rockefellers and Vince Lombardi came to visit. And I go, well, you still haven't answered the question because if you were the tennis coach of the Rockefellers, what the hell is Vince Lombardi paying you $17.64 for a tennis lesson? The <laughs> Rockefellers didn't take care of you? You needed that $17.64? That's a great one. That I, yeah. That's also another wacko one that I yeah. cherish. But it, it was a pleasure talking to you guys. I've enjoyed this immensely. And uh, let's stay in touch. Love awesome. to. Yeah. Good being with you. Thanks, Darren. You got it. Thank you. Take care. truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.